Tonight's year has been sponsored by Dov's Diamond and Family um, in honor of the birth of their grandson, Moshe Simcha. Excellent. I'll take I'll wait. I gotta wait. It's all good. For uh, the Zymans for sponsoring, everybody should enjoy their cholent and kogo. Okay, we are holding our third cheer in the topic of Bikor Cholim. Uh, last week we addressed the main mitzvahs, the aspects of what is required when a person fulfills this mitzvah of Bikur Cholim. We addressed three primary issues of what one needs to do when is Mavakar Cholim. Number one, anyone remember what are the four of the three things that a person needs to do? Where to go? What do you need to do when, when you're there? Yes. When you're there, what do you need to do? Number one, daven. You're required to daven. The Ramban wrote explicitly, and if you do not daven while you are there, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah. You cannot fulfill the mitzvah without davening on behalf of the person. Number two, see to his needs. You have to actually, like the Gemara's language was, sweep and sprinkle the earth, meaning they would sweep it and, and pat it down so it wasn't dusty, which was taking care of the physical needs. So you need, you need to be an advocate when you, go, when you go to visit the sick, and that would apply today in a hospital or any setting. As we mentioned last week, all the nursing staffs know who gets visitors and who does not get visitors, and being a visitor and advocating and bothering the nurses, which is you know, a, a, sometimes not so pleasant, but the bottom line is... You're bringing a bagel. in the bagels. I learned when I was in the hospital recovering from my surgery, uh, we discovered the value of food for the nursing staff. Like we sort of thought like, yeah, that works for like certain industries. Like you bring them a, a box of donuts and they'll be nice to you like when a moving company, but like for nursing staff, that wouldn't, no, it applies to nursing staff too. You bring like, we had so many people brought me food. I couldn't eat anything. So we were just giving it away to the nursing staff and they were like, so nice to me. Um, so that's number two. And number three, which the Ramban mentioned also was, uh, yeah, but hold on, I'm going to get to you both mentioned that point. Very good. Uh, was making the person feel better, giving them nachas ruach. So there's like, lifting the spirits of the person who's sick, which I think would be our primary thought, but the Ramban put that sort of like threw that in. It's really davening for them and tending to their needs. And we did learn, as you both have mentioned, that the Gemara referred to that as specifically going at the right time, not the first three hours, not the last three hours, which the Gemara said was because the first three hours, they're at their strongest state, you won't daven really well, and the last three hours are at their weakest state. And we, on our own, discuss why that's important, even without that, just making sure you're there at the right time, not for too long, not for too short, but being very good. Okay, let's address the following halachic issue, which comes up. Do you, or should you, make a bracha on Bikr Cholim? If you go back to the first class that we had, we had a dispute whether or not a machokas is the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim daraisa or darabanan. We saw some opinions held it's a daraisa mitzvah, it's a Torah mitzvah to go be mevaker cholim. And some said, nah, it's not a Torah mitzvah, it's only a, a rabbanan, a mitzvah mit rabbanan. Okay, very nice. Do we make brachas on mitzvahs durabanan? Sure. Sure. What are some examples of a rabbinic mitzvah that we make a bracha on? Hanukkah, Purim, what else? Hallel. When we say hallel, we make a bracha. Give me more. Washing hands and teal sedaim, we make a bracha on. So on food, we make a lot of brachas on mitzvahs to So it's one thing to say, what about some Torah mitzvahs? Do we make brachas on Torah mitzvahs? Uh, um, is Torah? Lulav is a bracha. Sure, lulav. Benching and birchas ha-Torah are questionable because those might, not questionable, those are 
the two topics where the bracha itself might be a daraisa, but generally, the idea of making a bracha, the idea of making a bracha before shaking a lulav and esrog. Does the Torah require you to make a bracha before lulav and esrog, or is that midrabana? It's all midrabana. The rabbis established before you do a mitzvah, make a bracha. So they gave us, we can give a whole list, tzitzis, tefillin, uh, lighting Shabbos candles, mitzvahs Torah Hanukkah, Purim, washing on the tiles, they make brachas all over the place. The Rabbanan gave us the concept of making a bracha before we do a mitzvah. So, I go to be mevakir chol, am I fulfilling a mitzvah? Yeah, either on a Torah level, certainly on a rabbinic level. Should I or should I not make a bracha when I knock on the door before entering into a person's room? To be mevakir chol, should I, should I not make a bracha? Well, once you make an, an argument of, like, why not? You're doing a mitzvah, right? You might not be able to say. Okay, so now the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? So wh- what are some other mitzvahs that we do, both Darais and Darabanan? What are some other mitzvahs that we do regularly that we do not make a bracha on? Staka is a classic example, right? So I just had four times this evening had the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of Staka. By the way, on your behalf, I don't, I don't get credit for the mitzvah when I write my checks from the rabbi's charity fund because I didn't fund it. I'm just the one <laughs> writing the check. Who gets the mitzvah when I wrote all those checks? All of you guys. Whoever funded the, the account gets the mitzvah of Staka, not me. So uh, I just have the great schuss of being able to write the checks. But when they come to your door and you give them money, there's no bracha. What are some other mitzvahs that we don't make a bracha on? You should Eretz Yisrael. Very good. A Jew who settles in the land of Eretz Yisrael, he goes to live in Israel. There's no bracha to be made on. We don't make a bracha. Uh, I'm, I'm moving to Israel. We don't make a bracha on that. Good. Anything else? Pru or vu. Very good. There's a mitzvah of pru or vu. There is no mitzvah to be made. Uh, we make a bracha on the birth of a child, but that's not a bracha of fulfilling a mitzvah. That's a bracha of Gratitude of either Shechianu, Tova Hametiv, excellent. So there's no mitzvah proof. excellent. Some others. Kibbut Abbaim, excellent example. A person's about to fulfill the mitzvah of Kibbut Abbaim. Beautiful mitzvah. The Zeres Adibros. Should make a bracha. Nope. There's no bracha on the mitzvah of Kibbut Abbaim either. I'll give you one other example. What's that? Shmir Shabbos. Shmir Shabbos. is debatable. Why is that debatable? We make a bracha on women, then we make a bracha on Kiddush. We can debate whether or not that's like a bracha on when we call like sanctifying Shabbos, but technically you're right. We don't make a, a bracha on Lasso Shabbos, but we sort of make a bracha in, in Kiddush. That's, that's interesting. How about Leviathan Mace? Leviathan very good. We don't make a bracha when, we, when we're Malavah Mace. We go to a funeral, also a mitzvah, Durbanan at least, certainly. We don't make a bracha on that. And one more example. We have a lot of great examples. Weddings like to be with some but God, that's a harder one, whether or not that's an actual like, mitzvah Durbanan, it's certainly a nice thing. That, but yes, we don't make a bracha there either. Shluch HaKan. I don't know. I think there is. I think there is. I think there is a bracha there. How about what's the first mitzvah in the Aserah Sadibros? What's the first mitzvah in the Aserah Sadibros? First. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Which, again, the Rambam counts as a mitzvah of Emunah. When a Jew says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I believe that Hashem is the one and only God who took us out of Mitzrayim. Guess what you have all just done right now, this very moment? For the mitzvah daraisa of 
and Muda, every time a Jew thinks, believes in Anochi Hashem Olukah, it's a mitzvah daraisa. It's a mitzvah to believe in, in Hashem. We don't make a rock on that. So there are many mitzvahs that we do, and there are many mitzvahs that we don't. So the question that we'll address briefly tonight is this topic of, so why is Biker Cholim on the side of those that we don't, rather than on the side of the mitzvah that we do make a brachos. I want to just briefly share three approaches. Whenever you have a multiplicity of approaches to a simple question, it's because there's no simple answer. There are different ways of looking at it as to what are the rules that guided Chazal when they said sometimes that we should make a bracha and sometimes when we do not. So does everybody have either a booklet or a a copy of the sheets? If you don't, there are some extra ones uh, up here. If you'd like to read it inside, otherwise we'll just read and translate. I want to start with source number 14 on the bottom of page 4 <coughs> is the Or Zarua. So the Or Zarua was also bothered by this question of like, well, sometimes we do make a bracha, sometimes we don't make a bracha. What's the deal? What defines that? So he says a very interesting idea as follows. Zeaklal, beginning of the source number 14. Kol mitzvah, in the underline of the first line, kol mitzvah, sheyesh itim lemitzvah Any mitzvah that has a specific time in which the mitzvah can be fulfilled and a specific time when the mitzvah cannot be fulfilled. So if there's a time frame that we haven't even gotten, hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Any, Any mitzvah that only applies during certain times and doesn't apply during others, on that... If it only applies at certain times, then you make a bracha now that it's time to do it. So that a mitzvah that always applies, we would not make a bracha. A mitzvah that sometimes applies, when you, we're gonna go, when you get there, then we make a bracha. So just, I, I, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So for he says, what are mitzvahs that have specific time limitations? Tzitzis. Don't wear them at night. Tefillin, you don't wear them on Shabbos or at night. Sukkah, has to be during Sukkah. Mezuzah, you don't have to have a, you have to have a house. Which is, again, there's like a lot to talk about. Mila, Kriyash, Mapidyon, he gives a whole long list of things. And he includes Birchas Torah as something you make a bracha. Isn't, doesn't Torah always apply? So he says, yeah, it always applies. But since you can fulfill the mitzvah of learning Torah only with Kriyash in the morning and Night. So he puts it in the category of something that has a specific time. And, but I, I want, I, his argument is on the bottom of the first paragraph. When there's a time when you are obligated. When the time comes. What's the deal? Who cares? There is time, there isn't time. What difference does it make? When there's times that you can't do something and times that you can do something, what does that affect within us? When you get to the time that you can, then that creates a chibuv. Now there's an additional level of love because before I couldn't and now I can. And this is, any time in life we have something where there's certain things that you can't do, so then when now I can again, oh, it's so much better. It's so much better. So therefore, there's a chibuf, there's a love that we have of the mitzvah, and therefore there was a ruah's argument is, a mitzvah that there's never a time that you can't do, you don't make a bracha. Very interesting. So for example, emunah, anokhi Hashem elokecha, is there ever a moment that you can't fulfill that mitzvah? So therefore you don't make a, a, uh, a bracha on it. <coughs> 
And he includes in that, um, in his list, he includes Bikor Cholim. Because of the fact that uh, Bikor, it's on the third line in the second paragraph, so you just want to see it inside. Um, Bikor Cholim, which always, you, you should always go and visit somebody who's sick. Therefore, we do not make a bracha because there's no chibot. We could argue this, but it's a fascinating point because you could debate a number of different mitzvahs which he puts in one category versus another. But just for our argument's sake for tonight, the idea of a bracha is a special chibuv on the time that the mitzvah has come. And since Bikr Cholom is, you should always do it. So therefore, since it always applies, there's no special love of the mitzvah and we do not make a bracha. Very interesting approach. I want to share two others. I'll share two others. There's no simple answer. This question is a, is a major rabbinic discussion of like when we do and when we don't make brachas. The, sh- the Rashba, in his response to the Shaz Shuva, has a different one. This one, Morty right away jumped on, and this is a one that I think is more often reflected. If you, I were to ask you, why don't you make a bracha on tzedakah? We don't make a bracha when we get tzedakah. Why not? If you have to answer just that one specific mitzvah, why do we not make a bracha on tzedakah? It might not be getting to the actual shirt. You know, not being used. Like when we give it here, it's not getting until you give it. So the question, because what? what, Let's say, how would you? When would you make the bracha? When do you normally make the bracha before we we give it? What if the guy right before you're about to give it says, "Nah, I don't, I don't don't like the way you looked at me. You gave it with a growl. I don't want it. This isn't enough." You ever have somebody take it back and sign it up? I don't. I don't sign it up. (laughs) It's not enough. Right there. Right. right, So so the Rashba says. On a mitzvah that's contingent upon another person, it's like one thing for me to take a lulav and esrog and say, "I'm going to shake the, I'm going to blow the shot, I'm going to do it." Listen, anything can happen. A person, Rahman al san, can get you know collapse or whatever. So it's always possible. But like, I'm in charge. I'm I'm doing this mitzvah. But when I need someone else for me to fulfill a mitzvah, and I'm relying on them joining me, going along, accepting, then we don't make a bracha. His language is. Ain and number fifteen on the top of page five. Ain mivarchin al mitzvah she'ena tuluya kula biad haoseh. We don't make a bracha on anything that's not completely contingent upon the one who's doing it. Mipnei she'efshar shelo yisratze bo chavero. The person might not want it, and then your action won't uh, fall. And the classic example he brings is matanos aniim, giving a loan to somebody, giving stock, all of these things where I'm contingent upon somebody else. Now, there's a, there are many who use this Rashba um, and they, they take off of it, not just because I'm afraid. His concern is that the person's not going to let you fulfill it. They're going to say, I'm not interested. I don't want it. But there are many who, who uh, adapt this answer and say, not only are we afraid that the person won't let you finish it, but that... Um, but that you're, you, we don't want the recipient to feel like a lulav and esrog. Meaning, that's like the way they say it in the yeshivas. Meaning like this. Mm. When I do my lulav and esrog, so like, I want to do this mitzvah, so my lulav and esrog is, I don't want to call it my prop, but is the chef, is the item that I need to fulfill a mitzvah. So I run after mitzvahs, right? So I run after shiluach hakan. Oh, I have a mitzvah to do. You're my, my bird. I'm going to send the bird away to take the egg. I have a lulav and esrog. I have a shofar. Excellent. An ani, a poor person, excellent. I'm so excited to see you so that I can fulfill a mitzvah with you and say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Amatonos Aniyim. No, 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 there's a human being here. 
There's a person who needs your help. We don't want you to relate to that person or that person to feel like they're just your luluf. Like yesterday you shook a luluf and made a bracha on it, and now you have a poor person. And we, we don't make a bracha on interpersonal mitzvahs that will require that kind of thing. So the same as the bikro, ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, you're sick. I was looking to do a mitzvah today. No, that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible way to express this. In a, so I, I don't want you to feel like you know, oh, you got better? Oh, man, you got better. I really wanted to be able to make a bracha and come and, and be mevakrachal. I want you to get better. You know, make a bracha on this. And therefore, we don't use a person. So the Rashbaz, again, his language was, I'm afraid he won't let me finish it because I need somebody else. But many describe, besides that, just we don't, the experience is you shouldn't make a bracha on a person. You don't make a bracha on a person. So uh, that's why. Uh, so we don't keep it off of aim. We don't do tzedakah. And we don't do bikrachon. Uh, and we don't do nichum avelim. When you go to visit a uh, shiva house, we don't make a bracha there uh, as well. Le- the person be, it's tied to somebody else. Um, well, baby, not, not really. The baby is not. The baby can't say, I don't want this. Maybe when the child, if you're doing it on a, on a gear or something, or a, video, or a child who never had a bris and now he's an adult, so then maybe the mo, you know, but then, but the, obviously then that person's coming forward and saying, I want this, so that's. Uh, lastly, just one other, the child who was Binyan Zevu, this one I never heard until I, we did this preparation, this, this particular answer, and he suggests that we only make brachos, uh, we, let's, we can explore this and see if uh, on our own we passes our test, on mitzvos that the nations of the world don't do. Meaning we, do, we make brachos on mitzvos that are unique to Kedushas Yisrael, and we don't make brachos on things that like everybody does. So like, for example, he says, Netil Sidaim, nobody else doesn't Netil Sidaim like we do. Nobody shakes a luluv in an esrog. Kibbutz aim. okay, we make it into a mitzvah, but like, we're the only culture in society that, one second, what was? let me just, I want to get, we're the only, we're the only culture in society where, uh, children, you know, bring a drink to their father. That's, we're not the only people who do that. <coughs> and so therefore he says, Bikur Cholim, like, the, the, okay, people visit sick. Uh, okay, maybe they don't have halachas, like you can't go in the first three hours, not the last three hours. But, but like, visiting the sick is not a uniquely Jewish experience like Shabbos candles and uh, <coughs> fill-in and sitzis and shechita and all of those things. That's his suggestion. So why does that on food, meaning because everybody eats. It's a, a bracha on food is, a, is not a bracha of a mitzvah. That's a bracha of hodah, shevach, or praise, and thanks. Um, what were you asking about? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, so that's a different category. But a bracha on a mitzvah, think about the mitzvahs we do, like tefillin, tzitzis. They make a great tzitzis. They make a great tzitzis. Tzitzis, lulav, estrog, shofar. We do it after. We don't make a bracha on that. Right? There's no bracha on the mitzvah of eating on Arab Yom Kippur. Even if the rabbi gives an entire drasha Shabbat about the mitzvah of eating on Erev Yom Kippur, we still don't make a bracha on Erev Yom Kippur when we actually... Yeah. So anyway, that's his approach. So now there's the three basic approaches, or really three, which is really four. Number one, we only make brachos on, uh, on things which have a time frame. If it always applies, that was the first answer that we saw from the uh, Orzerua. That's why we don't make a bracha on Bikr Cholm, because you could always visit the sick. Number two was the Rashba who says, because it's a human being on the other side of the equation. You don't make a bracha on a human being. You don't want it, because either, because as the Rashba says, that he might decline your visits, or because we don't want to make him feel like he's, uh, he's a chefsa, he's just a lulav or a ezra. And then the, um, when you see, but again, it's not a bracha of a mitzvah. You remember, there are different categories of bracha. Some are praise brachos, 
and some are um, fulfilling a mitzvah bracha. So the king is a praise bracha. For the first to approach the Levaya, why wouldn't you make a bracha on the Levaya? The mace is not going to refuse, obviously, and there is a time component. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, uh, each approach, like, there probably are some questions that we could, like, see, but uh, like, if you go with that, it's like, uh, not a, um, that there's someone else who might refuse. Yeah, he's not, he's not going to refuse. That's true. That's true. Okay, <laughs> it's true. I can't argue with that. Okay, let's move on to the next uh, next uh, topic. So, okay, there are a couple of halachas that um, th- that we should go through from the Shulchan Aruch on this uh, as we work through Biker Cholam. Okay, so let's do that. Let's talk about the language. Very interesting discussion. The language of prayer doesn't matter what language you daven in. So. The Shulchan Aruch has a very fascinating comment in, on the top of this sheet that I uh, gave out from the uh, printed out in Simon Shin Lamed Hay. This is Sif Hay on the top of the page. Shulchan Aruch writes as follows. If you're davening in front of the person. Remember we said one of the main components of Bikr Cholom is the daven. So now I'm here. I'm in front of the person. I want to daven. So we, we, we discuss, is it enough to say Rafur Shlema? Do you have to say a Yiratzon? You should have a Rafur Shlema, but you need a Davin. So says the Shulchan if you're Davining in front of the room, you're in front of him, he's right there. Yochol levakesh bechol lashon Whatever language you want to use. You're sitting in front of the person, you want to Davin, go ahead, Davin. You should be healthy, you should be well. We're thinking of you, Hashem should grant you a complete regard. Any language, in English, say whatever you want. However, vim levakesh shalom but if you're davening not in his presence, you've seen him, he looked terrible, and you go home and you say, oh man, I just visited so-and-so, he looks terrible, we need a daven for him. Or you're in Mincha and you're thinking of him and you want a daven for him. Says the Shulchan Aruch, Lo yivakesh ela v'loshon akodesh. Then you have to daven in Hebrew. Fascinating halacha. Say in front of him, daven in any language you want. If you're not in front of him, you have to use Lashon HaKodesh. What's the deal? We don't want him to understand it? No, it might make him happy. Understand that you make it. We want him to understand it, meaning that you should use any language because he'll understand whatever language you're saying it and he'll, that, he he knows you're, that he's know, he knows you're davening for him. Nice thought. But he might not know that. He may or may not know, but it's a nice thought that we, the idea that we want him to know that I'm davening for him. Oh, excellent. So there are two ideas here that are like midrashic kind of ideas that work their way into this halakha. That in front of him, I can use any language. And if I'm not in front of him, I have to use Hebrew. Like, so this is, this is a fascinating intersection between what we would call agadata, midrashim, and how seriously do we take them in terms of how it works its way into halakha. So number one is what Neil said which comes out of Yaakov Avinu when he was on his deathbed at the end of Sefer Bracious. We'll get to it in a few weeks, Mirza Hashem. Um, and all of his sons gather around. What's the language? And, and uh, Yaakov Avinu, so to speak, like bows at the head of the bed. So Rashi and Chazal, Rashi quoted Chazal, comment like, why, why is he bowing at the head of the bed? So Rashi quotes, that the Shekhinah is Shruya on the head of a, oh, a person who's sick, really, and really sick. Um, the the Shekhinah comes to rest on top of their head. We also say that the Malachim don't. Actually, we'll get into that in a second. So we have a constant number one, 
this agadic concept that the Shechina comes and rests over there. And what's the significance of the fact that the Shechina rests over the head of a chola? So if Hashem's presence is right there, guess what language Hashem understands? He's good. He's got them all. He's good. So since he understands all the languages, so if you go to visit the sick and you're in his presence, you're now there, and we have this idea that the Shechina is in the room with the chola. So if you're davening for him in his presence, then you're good. You can say whatever you want. Any language you want. All right, another idea, which comes up in a number of different concepts. For example, why do we say Kaddish? Kaddish is in Aramaic. And I, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular in the room right now. But when people are never saying Kaddish, and you see like those who are unfamiliar with Aramaic, and they're stumbling over all these words, they're like, why, why this one tefillah that when, whenever somebody loses a loved one, they got to come to Shul for the whole year, and now they got to say this, can it be in Hebrew? Well, it has to be in Aramaic. So what if the Gemara asks this question? Why do we say it in Aramaic? So the Gemara says, because... No, is that what the Gemara says? It's really, it's the Tosas. That the Malachim do not understand Aramaic. Correct. Since this is such a powerful tefillah, the Gemara says, the Malachim do not understand Aramaic. So powerful tefillahs, that the Malachim, if they knew what we were saying, they would say, these people are saying these holy words? Do you know what these people just did 10 minutes before when they came in, where they said, you're going to accept these words, they would say to the Rebbe Shalom, from these kind of people? So we sneak it in in a language that, that they don't understand, they can't sort of speak that. And that's a different agatha, that the Malachim do not understand. So the question is, is that only Aramaic, or is that Aramaic was the language of the land at the time, but they meant, Chazal meant, like, all languages, that the Malachim only understand Hebrew. So, so that's, a, that's a big discussion. Most Rishonim hold it's only Aramaic. It's only Aramaic. They but they, the Malachim would have, would have no uh, issue with anything else. And the Shulchan Aruch here is ruling stringently when he says, when he says, because we, we actually want the Malachim to, uh, to bring our tefillah. In this situation, we want the outfit. We want the Malachim to bring our tefillahs up to Shemayim. So when you're in the presence of Hashem and Hashem Shechina is right there, say whatever you want. He's going to understand it. But if you're not in the presence of the Chola, which means you're also not in the presence of the Shechina, so then the Shulchan Aruch you should use Hebrew to make sure that it is fully understood and carried, so to speak, by the Malachim, because we want all the help that we can get. So we're going to make sure that we use a language that for sure all the Malachim can understand and help bring up to Shemaim. And so we're trying to Shulchan Aruch we try to do that. Um, if you don't know Hebrew, I would tell you to daven in uh, any language, even not in the presence of the person, for sure. But uh, there is such an idea that if you're not davening in the presence of the actual Chola, to say the tefillah in uh, in Lashon HaKosh. What if you know the name at all? You don't know the name. That happens all the time. Right? We're going to for somebody, we don't know their name. So the Chazonish says, it's fine. So just say the name. Say that the Rebunshim knows who you're davening for. Say the person's English name or Hebrew name, whatever, without the official um, name. Um, that's totally fine. And also on that point, just we should note, while we're on this concept of uh, tefillah, do we use the mother's name or the father's name? Mother's name. We always, always use the father's name on all official names. Meaning, on exuva, uh, on official documents, how do we identify the chasen and kala? We always use 
Father's name. That's how we, that's the official name. Is so and so the son of so and so or daughter of so and so using the father's name? Do you use both? On we don't. Because it's a, it's just, it's a, it's just an official name. It's not. Uh, it gets, in, it's gotten involved in modern day times and all sorts of issues. Just, that's the, that's the person's name. Um, on a, on a, on a headstone after 120 years, we use the father's name. The only time that we use the mother's name is when we're mavakish rachamim, when we're beseeching Hashem for mercy. Then we always go through uh, the, 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 the merit and the rachamim of the mothers. We use a, a mother's name in general. If you don't know the mother's name, we we'll use the father's name. Used, yeah, I was gonna say no. Not take an aliyah unless he uses mother's name. Father and mother. Father and mother. Doesn't blow it. Certainly not for an aliyah. You're just calling a person up. Is that? Will not take the aliyah unless you. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not a. That's not a hill to make a fight on. For sure not. Let him use his mother's name. That's fine. But when we daven, we daven for with the mother's name and not the father's name. And on official documents like a ksuva or a headstone, we use the. the, the father's name. <coughs> That's certainly not anything that I would. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would not raise. Uh, it's that's the, that's the name in Shemayim. They're going to use that. And that's the name they use in Shemayim. Is the father's name. And up in Shemayim, they say so and so, so and so, so the father's name. So we, that's the name we want to put in that stone. But a headstone also is. But I mean that in the sense of like that's we want to identify the person with their name, and so we want it right. I've had many situations which come up. Their families discover that a tombstone, a headstone is wrong. Yeah, but you I was know. told that the people that in Russia, whatever, they put the mother's name to prove she was Jewish because of the intermarriage at that point. Be, so I mean, that's the way they check to yeah. see. I'm sure there are other variants. It's like a halak. It's like that we use the name. Like there's a big thing in Chazal that when a person gets up to Shemaim, they're going to refer to them by their name. Um, so that's that's the person's name that they'll uh, that they'll use. But and sometimes yeah, they should change it. You should that comes up uh, frequently. Uh, you know. In, Different eras of history, you know, so you had a family member that uh, they went off to Kansas when they got to the States in the 1930s, and so you find a headstone, and then all of a sudden you realize, but you had a story that their name was like this, and they got it wrong, and sometimes it happens, it, not just in Kansas, it happens in New York too, where, you know, somebody made a mistake. Somebody made a mistake in 1945, a person died, and they did, whoever did the headstone got something backwards, and the family realizes later, you know, how important is it to change it? That girl, like, how important is it, Rabbi, that we should change this? You know, you know. What does it cost? Is it worth it? It's got whatever. In any case, we'll use a father's name in general, but we use a mother's name whenever we uh, whenever we daven for uh, whenever we daven for someone. Are you allowed? Another halacha. Are you allowed? Uh, oh, one other thing I want to do on that. And halacha vav. Halacha vav. Yichlol oso b'toch chole Yisrael. We always include a chole when we daven for a chole. We include them, not on their own. I'm not only davening for this one person. We always want to put them in, into everybody, um, everybody else. Shiomar, in order to say, Hamakom Yirachem Alecha B'Toich Cholei Yisrael. That Hashem should have mercy on you amongst all of the sick. This is what we do. All of our tefillah, if you ever paid attention to the Shemona Esrei, all of our brachos are Belashon Rabbim. They're all plural. Rifeinu Hashem, Barech Aleinu, bless us. Everything is plural. I'm davening by myself. It's a silent Shemona Esrei. Isn't this only about me? No, it's never just about me. It's always about a Jew in the midst of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, all of our language is plural when we daven. And when we daven for a chola, similarly, we don't want to single out this chola. I'm davening for this chola amongst all of the cholim in Klal Yisrael. Are you allowed to visit 
the sick on Shabbos? Are you allowed to visit the sick on Shabbos? You have a person who's sick, are you allowed to go visit on Shabbos? What do you say? Okay, but yeah, to be, I mean, you have to be careful. Make sure yeah. that if you go and you don't want to do something wrong, that's for sure true. So this uh, this issue um, uh, comes up as well, and the answer is one hundred percent. Not only are you allowed to visit the sick on Shabbos, you are allowed to daven for them on Shabbos, as we do. Um, as we do every Shabbos. So at the end of uh, Sif Vav, which we just started, the second from on the, on the sheet that I gave out, um, at the end of that phrase, he, the Shulchan Aruch adds, U'v'Shabbos Omer, Shabbos Himilizok, U'Refua Krova Lavo. You've probably heard that many times when we dive in for Cholim uh, on Shabbos. Shabbos Himilizok. What does that phrase mean? Shabbos Himilizok. That Shabbos is Milizok. You are not allowed to be Za'ak. You can't call out. You can't cry out. Shabbos is a day of Oneg. A day of pleasure, a day of celebration. We don't cry out in tears. So what we do is, when we daven for the sick, you say, I'm not allowed to cry out. I'm not allowed to cry at Shabbos, but I have somebody that I need to, uh, to daven for. So we say the phrase, Shabbos, that the healing should come soon, but I can't really cry out in the way that I normally, uh, in the way that I normally would. But I do need to... Uh, I do need to be able to daven for, uh, for such a person. There is, um, if you have the, the booklet or the handouts from the booklets, in source 17, on page 5, um, this is in, uh, in Orchayim and Hilcha Shabbos, the Shulchan Aruch points out um, that a chola sheyesh bo sakana sayom, zoa if the person is b'sakana sanefesh, where you're afraid they're going to die, then even on Shabbos, you would be zoek um, as it's because now this is it, then, then for sure. So if an, a person who's b'sakana sanefesh, then we dive in regular. If not, then we add the phrase, Shabbosim mi lizok, krovot lavo, and that is uh, what we do. Uh, taking a look at source 18 on that sheet, uh, taking a look at source 18, um, he, he passes explicitly, Yecholim l'nachim avelim b'Shabbos. It's also going to be, I'd like to be menachim avel on Shabbos. I'd like to go to be menachim avel. So many people would say like, no, it's Shabbos. It's true, an avel during Shiva doesn't sit Shiva. Doesn't practice avelus. So they have to look like it's Shabbos. So they sit on a regular chair, they wear regular clothing, uh, they come to shul, even though they might have been in their home the whole week. But are you allowed to go visit somebody? So the Shulchan Aruch says very explicitly, 100%. Yecholim lenachem avelim b'Shabbos. You're allowed to go to be menachem avel on Shabbos. V'chein yecholim levakeres achol. And similarly on Shabbos, you are allowed to uh, go to visit the sick. The um, Mishabrura adds, or the Sharachuva, I should say, in a very interesting point, it says, Umishu hu rach ha-levav, al yisuri achol. Somebody who is uh, sensitive. A sensitive soul who will be terribly pained by seeing the chola in the state that the chola is in. So, ain't no lelech, which it's not, you know, maybe you should stay away on Shabbos, because dila oleg nitem. Shabbos is for oleg, not for tsar. So, you should stay away. We, I, I quote this, but we have like, in our, in our world that we live in, you know, um, it's, you, maybe you've heard a couple stories of great people who found out about a tragic death on Shabbos and are like maintained their composure until the moment they made Abdallah. Most human beings today are beyond our, uh, where we're holding. But one is not supposed to cry on Shabbos, but, uh, you know, 
you find out about a, a horrible massacre in Eretz Yisrael, on Yantav and Shabbos, like, I don't know many people who are holding by like, it's okay, we'll wait till after Shabbos to cry. But, uh, but there is such a concept of not crying on Shabbos, there's such a concept in Olachov, if you're going to be not able to hold yourself back when you go to visit such a person, maybe you shouldn't go on Shabbos. But in general, I, I would tell you, in, you know, go visit somebody on Shabbos. You know, try to remember that it's Shabbos, but go, uh, go see them. One last comment. Um, one last comment. And that is on the idea of changing a name. Changing a name. The Ramah writes, the Ramah writes in uh, Sif Yud, going down to the bottom. Going down to the very bottom, um, he, the Shulchan Aras talks about uh, a person who has a, a stomach or bowel diseases, like, you know, like a, a woman should not have a male attendant because it's not going to be uh, appropriate, but the Nachrasa has a Ramah, Haga, and the end of the first line. Someone who has somebody sick in their home should go to the Chacham of the city. That they go to the Chacham to diamond for you. And there's a minimum, we would give a bracha to the Chol and the Beis which we do every week. And he adds, and the Krolahem Shem Chadash, to change their name. The person is uh, very sick, so you go to Shul and you, uh, you change their name. So the Ramah says, well, why? Why do we change the name of somebody who is sick? So he says, because the changing of a name is a Korea Zardino will change the Xar Din of, of the person. Meaning the Xar Din was on this person. Person of Ploni ben Ploni, Avraham ben Yitzchak. So Avraham ben Yitzchak has a Xar Din, he's very sick, he's deathly ill. But if we change Avraham ben Yitzchak's names to Menachem ben Yitzchak, well, Menachem ben Yitzchak doesn't have that Xar Din, so, so there's the idea of changing the name. That's one of the major, this is one of the last things we all, we all know, just culturally, when you hear that somebody had their name changed it's right, like, like, uh, you, you, we know that means. I mean, it's bad. I mean, it's bad. That's one of the last things that we do. And uh, if, by the way, you change someone's name and they heal, what name do we call them by? A new name. Uh, like it worked. We changed their name. We it clearly is bad because we don't change names until it's it's bad. And uh, they they got better. So that's that's their new name. That's their new name. One hundred percent. Correct. And once you change the name, that's, that's it. Yaakov is one of the only exceptions where, where Hashem changed his name from Avram to Yaakov to Israel, but it's in a way that we maintain uh, a <laughs> little Alter. His name is the original name, Alter. Yeah. That's not changing, just added. Adding, right. Sometimes, sometimes we well, add, but that's also changing. In other words, sometimes once you change part of the name, that, now this is a new name. Right. But yes. We don't often change, we, we usually add a name to it. Yeah. Um, the Ran points out something different, which we spoke about in, in Elul. The Ramah, when he talks about why do we change the name, he talks about it from Xardin. Like the decree was on this person, and this is a new name. So the Ran, when he talks about it, addresses what we spoke about at Elul time, of when we change a name as part of the tshuva process. It's to show and say, I'm not the same person. It's not just... Well, there's like a, you look up in, a, in the list of like, well, this person has exact in and now it's a different name. No, it's not just the name. It's I want to be a different person. I want a, a whole new identity. And that's really part of the concept of, uh, of changing a name. Okay, I think I said it last time. I'll do it one more time. This is the last halakha for tonight. If a person had a chance of doing only one of two mitzvahs, he could either do Beaker Cholim to visit someone sick, or he could do Nichol Avelu, somebody who uh, sitting Shiva. 
And you only have time for one. Which one of these two mitzvahs de Rabbanon, visiting the sick or comforting the bereaved, which one should take precedence? <coughs> you know what we say? So the Ramah writes, the Ramah writes at the end of Sif Yod, at the bottom of that sheet, Nichum Avelim Kodem Lebikrachom. That going to pay a shiva call takes precedence over bigger not bigger. I also have a time limit. Usually lasts more than eight days, seven days. Could be, could be. Say you guys are thinking along the same lines. That nichum avelim. If you had a choice between the two, and these are two choices that most people are very uncomfortable with. Both, like should I go, you know, pay a shiva call or go to the hospital to visit somebody? So the Ramah says you should go to the shiva. Go to the shiva house. Comfort the bereaved more than visiting the sick. Now there's an oddity in that because one would have thought, one would have thought, but because the person's still alive, that I'm okay, comforting the bereaved, I mean their loved one is already gone, I'm just comforting them, but the person who's sick might need me. So why should I go to the Shiva house before the Chola? So if Moshe Feinstein in a tshuva writes, you're 100% right for thinking that. This is obviously, he says, Uposhut, this is on source 19, on the bottom of sheet, uh, page number 5, says it's Poshut, Sha'ari Aramam, which the Ramah is quoting, that the Ramam says that you should go to the Shiva house before to the, visit somebody in the house. It's Poshut that you know there's somebody in the hospital room with him who's taking care of him. But if, if your choice is between, like, there's, there's a family member with the chola, they're taking care, they're talking to the nurses, they're davening, should I go visit him? Or to, that's when the Rambam says, go pay a shiva call. But if you don't know for sure that someone's already taken care of the chola, then he says, no question. What do you do first? Take care of the chola. The person's alive with us in this world. That's what you do. Obviously, obviously, that's the first step. If the person has what they need, and now it's just uh, for me, which one should I do? Visit, which is already, he's taken care of, but to visit, or, or comfort the bereaved? He says to comfort the bereaved is actually, uh, actually comes first. Very interesting. Okay, next week, Mertz Hashem, we'll talk about, are you allowed to daven for someone to die? It's not next week. I'm in Eretz Yisrael next Thursday night, but uh, Mertz Hashem, the week after that, big discussion of, can a person get to a point in their life in which they're in so much pain and it's a terminal illness, are you allowed and under what circumstances to actually daven that somebody should die? We'll start with that and then continue some of these other halachas as we shift from Bikr Cholim to Nichum Avelim. Thank you, uh, Doe, for sponsoring again tonight. Again, next week I'm in Eretz Yisrael, but when we meet up again in uh, two weeks.